a hello. Whoa. <laughs> Sorry, I'm vaping. You didn't, you didn't give me any warning. You it's didn't fine. give me the nod. You're well, not even looking at me. I'm not. Stop being rude. I know. I'm trying to figure out whether we sound loud enough or not. Oh, okay. So that's why you're looking at the screen, not because yeah. I'm boring. No. You're, um, you're boring, but... I'm re- I'm boring. <laughs> I'm just joking. Oh, I'm so taken that out. That was like, so rude. <laughs> Do yeah. I? Respect your elders. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> me and Amber were saying yesterday, I was like... I was saying, oh, I'd love to be friends with this person, but mm. I don't know. I was like, I ain't got many friends. And Amber was like, what's Lauren then? Is she just a weirdo? I was like, she is a weirdo, to be fair. Great. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, yeah. And I'm That's proud. That's our conversation. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. And I'm proud to be weird. There's no, ain't no nothing wrong with being weird. No. Nope. As long as you're kind. Exactly. I like that. Yeah. So That's why I tell my kid, you know, be weird, be kind. Mm. And then I might add, be cool in the end. Because yeah, he likes it. Yeah, yeah. He yeah. loves it. <laughs> um... We took him to a trampoline park. It's quite expensive, so Ryan jumped with him. My yeah. husband jumped with him. Um, and next time it's my turn. And but honestly, being a spectator of that, mm-hmm. watching my six foot four husband jumping on the trampoline. Well, it's the yeah. best Saturday morning I've had in a really I know, long time. I can imagine it. <laughs> Fucking hell. Um, I feel like I've been a bit like all over the place this week. I think I'm a bit excited for your case. Uh, yes, for my case, but also I've got a three night, uh, like free, like my, my, my son's going for a three night sleepover mm. at his grand. Are you nervous? Uh, I'm not nervous. No. Are you like sad? Yeah. Even yeah. though it'll be lush. Yeah. Like the mum and you just go, oh. Yeah. You know, a few hours. Yeah. Yeah. But right, especially but... now he's at school, six hours a day is long. Yeah. It's a long time. And we're going to go back to the restaurant that we had our first in the wild date mm-hmm. nearly 11 years ago. Wow. Cafe Pasta in St Ives, just nice. in case anybody... Yeah. I've never been there. I'm not a big Italian fan. Neither am I. But mm-hmm. it was one place that we knew that nobody would... We mm-hmm. knew would be in there. Yeah. No. Oh, that's really sad. <laughs> we sat at the back. Uh-huh. But it brings back fond memories. And actually, I went down there... Uh, last week to do some writing mm-hmm. so I find, sometimes find that if I'm in the house I tend to be getting on with yeah. stuff in the house I get distracted so and it's nice this time of year like I feel like Cornwall belongs to Cornish people yeah so it's nice to have space time yeah mm-hmm. and so I wrapped up really warm so that I could sit outside a cafe and stuff and yeah it just brings back nice memories yeah so and it's nice to want to make the effort for Valentine's even th- we had many years where we were like Phew, don't need to do that. No. But then life catches up with you and it's yeah. nice to... He works It's he a works happy a love day. Yeah, yeah. So and also, when I was younger, my dad used to uh, own a salon mm-hmm. and he used to write... I used to get a Valentine's card yeah. to my dad's salon and there was a chocolate inside. And I, I was from my secret admirer, mm. but it was from my dad. Yeah, it makes it special, doesn't and it? And so I'm doing the same for my kid because... But rather than a chocolate, I've bought him some gummies because mm-hmm. he loves them. And he'll just think it's great. Yeah. Um, and also he's made a card for his grand and stuff. Wow. So, yeah, we're, like I'm really looking forward to like, the weekend coming up. Yeah. And it's also nice that he's going to spend that with her as well. Yeah. They, like, super love each other and she's amazing. Yeah. Uh, I'm very, very lucky. But... Also, yes, I am excited about uh, my case today. What about you? Are you excited? I can't tell you because I've been wanting to do this case since, like, before the first episode. But if I do it, then it's done and I don't want it to be done. (gasps) Oh, my God. I think I know which one you're going to do. Well, I put a poll on Facebook um, to let people decide for me. Yeah. Because I thought, I don't want to decide myself because then it's done, isn't it? See, I made sure not to just because people might think that, you know. Yeah. 
I made sure not to look at those posts because you told me that you were going to do a poll and I didn't want to yeah. see who you were, were doing. Yeah. I asked I asked um, the husband who he voted for and he's like, I don't know, we just chose one. Yeah, Amber's like that. She's like, I, I don't know who I chose, but... What? Like, I'll tell you what you chose in a minute when I reveal my case. Why didn't you go and do some research and be like, who'd... No, no. Oh, no, that was that, that was just my choice. Yeah. What? I know, right? That's not how poll this works. Poor. That's all right. <laughs> oh yeah, sorry. Should have looked on the bright side. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Okay. So yeah. So I didn't look yeah. uh, purposely because I didn't want to mm. ruin it. As soon as as soon as I reveal what I'm gonna do, I think I know. You're gonna know why. And we cut. We talk about this guy a lot. And a, a lot. I let me rephrase this. I talk about this guy a lot because <laughs> I find him fascinating. And me and Amber were chatting last night, and I was saying how. I find people fascinating. And she's like, I just don't get it. She just does not get it. No. But it's the psychology behind the person. I mm-hmm. said, you know, they can go and do whatever. But why did they do that? What what led them to do that? You know, were they born like that? Were they, mm. you know, were they raised like that? I just, I just, that fascinates me. Me too. So, and this guy just absolutely fascinates me in every way. Yeah. I think I know which one you're going to do, but I'm going. To, I'm. I, I'm so excited that I'm uh-huh. like tapping my feet, and I know that yeah. I need to not do that because it will make a horrible sound for you to edit. Yeah, but I'm, I'm excited. So we flipped a coin. We flipped a coin because when we, we couldn't remember, could we? Yeah. Who had gone first last time? So I'm yeah, a good decide. So we flipped a coin, uh, and I am going first. You are. So sorry, Again. guys. You're going to have to wait a little bit longer to know what my case is. Just a little bit. And I was quite shocked that this person got the most amount of votes. Oh, okay. Because I thought he isn't... Sorry, we're back to your case again, are we? Yeah, we oh, are. Right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> he, isn't, he isn't like a Ted Bundy. He's not as well known as people think. Mm. Um, and there's a lot of information I don't think people know. See, funny that you should say that. Because okay. I felt exactly the same when I was... When I thought of and uh, when I first heard about uh, the person that I'm doing the case on today. Like... Why do we know about Ted Bundy and why do we not know about this person? Because yeah. this person is way worse. And like the whole Israel Keys thing. When you yeah. talking about him, I was like, Israel who? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> my nickname and that. But yeah. <laughs> I, I just had no idea. And when you when you told me about him, I thought this guy is a criminal mastermind. Yeah. How on earth do we not know about people like this? Okay, wait, stop. So, <laughs> okay. just need to explain something because you just said like my nickname. Okay. So when I first met Meeks, we were in our psychology class and we were told that at some point we were going to need to choose a serial killer to do an assignment on. But wasn't it like uh, murder in the media or something like that? Something like that. Well, I knew who I was doing straight away. Obviously it was Israel Keys. Meeks and I got chatting in the fucking room. In the pissing down room when your car was four foot away. I was so excited to find somebody that finally wanted to talk to me about this stuff. And with the same passion, I think, as you. Yeah, because you're very interested. passionate about... Yeah, the interest, yeah. The, the why, Yeah. what led to it, are you just... What did you, you just think? Fancy? Yeah, exactly. exactly, all of those things. And yeah. it's, it's, it is nice to find somebody that uh, is the same age as what my own child could be. Yeah, um, but... <laughs> but it's you not... said it, not me. <laughs> yeah, very, very, very mature for your age. <laughs> Thanks. Um, so that's how the Israel Keys thing came around. It is. Because I don't even remember where your nickname came from. So, Meeks then, like, nicknamed herself... On on our Facebook chat. On our Facebook chat, Israel Keys. <laughs> okay, so, again, disclaimer, because we don't want to offend anyone. Of course. We're just not funny. No. But this was freaking hilarious, because when my phone rings now, 
Messages is fine because I don't. You don't, don't. Yeah, you want to know who it's from, but you kind of. You can look before you answer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, and also your eyes see. Oh, that's that's Meeks. Yeah. Whereas when your phone rings and my I've <laughs> I haven't been into the settings on my phone. My phone announces who it is that's ringing. Mm-hmm. So when my phone rings, it says Israel Keys is calling. Oh my god, that's actually brilliant. <laughs> so, but, yeah. Oh my god. First time it happened, I was like, what? who? <laughs> wow. <laughs> Yay! No, I'm joking. Yeah. And I'm red. Yeah, I don't know where that come from. No. Me neither. I can't, cannot remember for the life of me. I might go back on our chat and do the search, type in red and go to the very first one. Wow, really? No, that's a bit fucking <laughs> obsessive. That's weird. Don't ever say that again. I would say boring, but, you know, okay. no, no, I'm joking. No, no. I would like to know where, I don't understand where red came from, but I'm cool with it. It's, it's, so yeah. do I come up as red when I ring you? No, my phone doesn't do that. It just has a ringtone, which is okay. shit. Yeah. Not like the ones that you used to be able to download of, like, no. current pop songs. Yeah, and they used to have on the back of the magazines, it used to have, like, yeah. songs that you could buy. Yeah, yeah. Only snips of them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I used to have... I couldn't get it off, and I paid, like, four quid a month for it, and for the... I didn't want to pay four quid. No. It was a bit like, oh, I want to quit the gym. Yeah. That situation. And this song, Bonkers, by... Uh, what's he called? Dizzy Rascal. That's it. Would play while you rang my phone, so it wasn't my ringtone. That's sick. That's actually it, really cool. It's not. It was irritating. And yeah. could I get that flipping thing off? No, I couldn't. So, oh, ev- God. And it's fine when your mates are ringing you or your boyfriend or your mum. Yeah. But when you've started giving your number out to clients mm-hmm. and then you forget that bum, 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 bonkers yeah. comes on. <laughs> I had that song played at my wedding. Did you? Yeah. Wow. You know about like, the first dance thing? Yeah. So we, we did that. And then I had like, <laughs> I had like a Lauren dance. Okay. I didn't mean <laughs> to. Like, it wasn't something that I, you know, narcissistically put out there, but... Like, everyone was like, here's Lauren's song. So yeah, I remember seeing that photo in your album of <laughs> you just... Being bonkers. Yeah. Yes. Okay, so... So we're ten minutes in. Oh, and we're like, these cases are really long, so it might take a bit of a while. Yeah. And we're just chatting shit for 11 minutes. I love that. That's awesome. us. Uh, I might... I, I can't remember if I said this, but I might need to split this into two. Okay. I haven't decided yet, okay. and that might seem um, odd... But spontaneous. There's so much information uh-huh. that it, it might it might go into two. But I don't want to leave everyone hanging because it does kind of bug me when I listen to yeah. stuff. But then at the same time, I don't know. So it makes you want to come back, doesn't it? It does. So can I just say something? Yeah. You need to buckle in. Okay. Uh, I'm scared. Every it, time you say this, like you're not even joking either. No, because you know me. Yeah. I'm in. I'm in it for the weird. Okay. Um, you need to buckle in. Uh huh. You. I might freak you out. Okay. Because you know where we're going. Okay. Closely? Just wait. Okay. You ready? I'm ready. Here we go. My story today takes us to Canada. Okay. Where Ovi... And the reason why Tamika is excited is because she lived there. Uh Uh-huh. For three months. But when I... and, And Canada is a big place. So when I say she lived in Canada and... But what I'm saying to you is it... You lived, like, close, close. Okay. So over nearly three decades, women, mainly sex workers, from the downtown east side Vancouver, mm-hmm. were going missing at a really, really alarming rate. These women had family that cared and wanted to know what was happening. We've been to, we've walked through the east side. It's dodgy. No, it's it, nothing it, like it's, it. It's horrible. Mm-hmm. It is where they pushed all the undesirables. And it was done on purpose because they didn't want them in the city. 
it was literally we were walking past people fitting on the floor we would walk past people smoking a crack pipe in the middle of the street it's a really bad problem i'm just trying to paint a picture for everyone definitely carry on like it's it was rough yeah uh, the drug problem it is a massive problem yeah. um, scruples are the most favourite thing which yeah. is cocaine and heroin I think oh wow I together yeah uh, the ice cream to be honest <laughs> I didn't <laughs> really good. addicted to snow cones <laughs> oh my god anyway um, so the families of these people they just didn't get it. No one was helping. Mm-hmm. They went to report them to the police, and they were just vanished. There was no, there was no bodies. There was mm-hmm. no sightings. And you know, with people that work in the sex trade and sex workers, they are in and out of contact with their family. Of course. So, just to give you an idea of how many women had gone missing. Here's a, t- a timeline with some of them, not all of them. Okay. Um, just just to give you an idea. Okay, so we're starting from September 1978. Okay. Lillian Jean O'Dare disappears from downtown Eastside. 1991. Relatives of a growing list of missing women, alongside with advocates for sex trade workers, establish an annual Valentine's Day remembrance uh, press for a tougher police investigation. Uh-huh. So, you know, from... 78 to 91 these families have come together there's a task force because there's that many there's that many and the police aren't doing anything no 1997 helen hallmark uh, is reported missing and remember these people are vulnerable because mm. they're not going home to their families no so they might not have been heard from for three months but that might be normal yeah but but really they could be anywhere and nobody or anything is ever lost. Exactly. 98, Vancouver police set up a team to review files of as many as 40 women oh, missing as far back as 1971. Wow. That's horrendous. 1999, Jacqueline McDonnell reported missing. Uh, some other, I couldn't find a, a month, but uh, in 1999, Georgina Pappin, Brenda Wolf, and Jennifer Firminger last seen never seen again Fuck. in april 1999 the vancouver police board posts a hundred thousand dollar reward for information on the missing women so they were sort of like you said treating it together as a whole case mm-hmm. i suppose people would join after like they hadn't heard from anybody else exactly and i suppose like knowing what vancouver looks like you could drive through the east side yes and see people there so yeah. For all we know, those families are driving through and recognising their children to make sure that they're okay. Exactly. Sorry, sidebar. No, fine. Uh, March 2001, Patricia Johnson, last seen in downtown Eastside. April 2001, Heather Bottomley, reported missing. August 2001, Serena Abbotsway, reported missing. Uh, September 2001, Vancouver Police uh, and the RCMP... Royal Canadian Mounted Police. Thank you. <laughs> form a joint task force. Is that the FBI? Yes. Uh, to replace the city's police stalled investigation. And I'll tell you why it was stalled. Uh-huh. It's because they would say things like, oh, she's probably gone on a cruise. Call back after Christmas. Yeah. Or, you know, oh, she's probably off partying. Mm-hmm. Or they would treat them as a runaway. No, they were never, ever taken seriously. No. And sex worker or not, I don't care if you work in B&Q. No. 
your disappearance like it matters it matters that 100%. is someone's child someone's sister someone's you know it's the someone's sad someone. thing is, is it comes down to, to you know economic class it comes down to gender it, it comes down to age it comes down to everything it comes down to ethnicity it comes down to the old boys club yeah as well mm-hmm. October 2001 Diane Rock reported missing November 2001 Mona Wilson reported missing Jeez. so that makes... was in a short space of time as well yes sorry no it's fine no no you carry on you need to tell me <laughs> so you lived not far from a farm called the Picton Farm is that okay. right uh yeah do you could... I, I don't know it as a place but I've heard I know whereabouts it is okay so let me tell you okay Robert William Picton and his brother David owned a farm in Port Coquitlam thank you <laughs> uh, British Columbia uh, so 17 miles east of Vancouver. Vancouver yeah so they had a worker called Bill and he called the farm a creepy looking place yeah because I say farm it looked more like a junkyard. Wow, okay, look at... Mm. You know, like, Stephen Avery's place? Uh, Stephen Avery! Making a murderer? Yes. Uh, yeah, Stephen Avery's junkyard? Yeah. It, it looks like that, with... Yeah. Not like your country farm that yeah. you're picturing in your head. No. Um, so it's a creepy-looking place, and he described Robert Picton, one of the brothers, as quiet, but sometimes bizarre. Mm. And... And there was no um, evidence of substance abuse. Okay. So he was just a little bit odd. Yeah. I mean, I'm acting like I know the fucking case. I don't, but I'm assuming I can imagine him to be a bit odd. Eccentric, you know. Extra. Yeah. He was, uh, you know, he he grew up on this farm where his mum just let the livestock come in. Mm -hmm. Mainly the pigs, because it was a pig farm. Right, okay and defecate on the floor and in the end they just got used to the smell and Jesus. she didn't make them wash no. and so yeah, yeah. I, I can picture you I've pick, got a, a good yeah. image I've got so a good image. here we go so Robert went by the name Willie and he was born in 1949 and he came from a family of pig farmers for three generations in the mid 90s he and two siblings so he had a brother and a sister okay sold parts of the, the farm that they'd inherited uh, for a few million dollars. Wow. And Picton was left with sole control of the remaining land. Okay. So, the brothers, the, the sister tend to distance herself mm-hmm. and did more so over time. Okay. So, the Picton brothers began to neglect the site's family operations. They registered a non-profit charity called the Piggy Palace Good Times Society. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, And they did this with the government in 1996, claiming to organise, coordinate, manage and operate special events, functions, dances, shows and exhibitions on behalf of uh, service organisations, sports organisations and other worthy groups. That was in the description. In actual fact, its events included raves, wild parties um, and a lot of the Vancouver sex workers would go there. Yeah. Um, and the gatherings took place in a converted slaughterhouse on the farm. Do you know what? As soon as you said about the pig farm thing, I thought, I could, in my head, I imagined a slaughter farm. Yeah. In my head, I'm thinking, here we go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so these events actually attracted as many as 2,000 people. Uh-huh. 
because what you have to remember is is that although the Pictons, especially Robert, were pig farmers uh-huh. and mm, dirty, smelly, uh-huh. unkept. How you'd imagine someone to look like. They were well off. So wow. even the likes of the Hells Angels mm-hmm. and off-duty police officers were known to frequent the establishment. I know, if I could re- take a picture of your face right now. <laughs> well, like, okay, rewind. So, <laughs> for the parties or just because he was weird? For the parties. Oh. Wow. I know. They'd have cookouts, which really would be in charge of cooking, you know, and so, yeah, off-duty police officers. Even the mayor hired the... What? Shut the fuck up. Uh, yeah, for <laughs> uh, an event. It wasn't all good times uh, at the Piggy Palace because these parties were obviously illegal yeah. and Picton and his brother sold booze. Illegally, of course. Exactly. Mm. So you have to have a licence and they didn't. Right. So, But they would also charge an entrance fee, which they said that they were raising money, but... They put it in their back pockets, you mean? They would use it, like, for the parties. So it's very possible that the Pictons never raised any money for any real decent cause, but rather used the society as a front to party and charge uh, people money. Yeah. Um, I mean, and it would be pretty good money. Imagine if like a thousand people came and paid £10 each. It's $10,000. Well, you've got 2,000 people frequent, yeah. you know, so they were raking in some serious cash. Yeah, right. And $10 to get into a party is pretty good. What were they spending it on though? Because mm. I will put again on Instagram the picture that there's an aerial picture of the farm and it's ramshackles. It's it's out barns and mobile homes. Yeah. And discuss it's dirty. Okay, so I'm gonna fast forward now okay. to 2002. It's February the 6th, and the police are about to execute a search warrant for illegal firearms at the farm. Right. But, you know, because yeah. you can imagine at this part, these parties, you know, they're all showing off, you know, having a pissing contest with their weapons. Yeah, you know, and juggling beer down their throats yeah. with pipes and shit. Well, yeah. do you know what? Interestingly, Robert Picton did not abuse drugs and he didn't drink. Wow, that's a surprise. Like, ever. Wow, like having all these parties where you're selling alcohol, I couldn't imagine him not. Exactly. So this search warrant came about um, was because the police were surveillancing him because of the parties. Right. They were watching because so many people were going. There was lots of Chinese whispers, lots of rumours. Yeah. And there's only so far rumours can go right. until the, that something needs to be done. So it turns out that Constable Nathan Wells had cultivated a source that he'd hoped would share information about drugs. Okay. Because it was said that around the farm, around the parties, there would just be bowls of cocaine. Wow. And, yeah, it was just out for everybody to help themselves. Did they know that, like, off-duty police officers were coming around then? Mm-hmm. What? Yeah. <sighs> I just... These cases baffle me. They do. I just don't get it. So I know do- I say that a lot, but... No, 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 it's... No. It is baffling. So, a guy called Dwayne Scott Chubb gave up details about the guns, in, uh, instead leaving Wells to get a search warrant for the Picton property. Mm-hmm. When he went to get the warrant, Wells entered Picton's name into the police database, 
because uh, remember it's 2002 so mm-hmm. they've got a something going on you know yeah. I know stuff's moved a lot further forward now but yeah and there was a note to call the Vancouver police mm. it popped up as uh-huh. a so two officers from the Women's uh, Missing Task Force would later join the team heading to the Picton Farms for a firearm search. Okay. Why? So really it wasn't a firearm search. Well, you know, what, why? Why are they going? Yeah. So right. there, there was a something, there was a something. Yeah, and that, you just have to act on that something, don't you? So, but, but they were there to stand back and Constable Wells was under the impression that they were not participating in the search but standing by in case anything showed up that would be an interest to them. Because yeah, I get that. Yeah, because he was having these parties yeah. and women from the downtown east side were going we're missing. Going. Yeah. Maybe there was clues, maybe there was something maybe they were there staying there. Well you said earlier that, you know, the sex workers would attend the parties, yeah. Exactly. So makes what they actually find is said to have disturbed the most seasoned of the police force. Wow. Wells and three other officers moved onto the farm across a muddy path on the night of February 5th, 2002. So, oh, so, like, we're February, what, like, 10th now? Something like that? Mm. So, oh, I like mm. how you've done that. Thank you. They walked towards the trailer, which in England we call them caravans or yeah. static homes. They're a bit bigger, I think. Yeah. So they rounded the bend and heard the sound of a truck and saw some headlines. So they stopped. Mm-hmm. Because they needed to execute this search warrant properly. Yeah. It was for firearms, which means there are firearms on the property, which means someone could get hurt. Danger, for sure. The officers heard a truck door open and close, followed by the sound of a trailer door opening and closing. A police vehicle with sirens blaring and lights flashing arrived on the scene and with a yell of, Police! Warrant! The police used a battering ram to barge into the Pictons trailer. Love the American accent. Is that right? Canadian accent. How do Canadians talk? Like, I can do French-Canadian. I... <laughs> Where's all the door? I have a video of my cousin speaking, like, in her accent, but she'd kill me if I put it on here. So. Okay. Can I mean, you do it? Can you do, like, a Canadian accent? What is Canadian accent? Like, what do they sound like? I used to have a little twang, like, certain words would change. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I, I can't explain it. Okay. Let me try and get, like, a video up. Like, Sophia would kill me if I put one up of her. Okay, so I just got some really shitty videos from YouTube and just showed Lauren the difference between an American and a Canadian accent. Okay, great. So, any Canadians that want to come on and, like, do... Yeah. Please, come on. I need to hear you. <laughs> um, okay, so, anyway. Once inside the trailer, the police saw Picton and told him to get on the ground. Mm-hmm. He was searched and taken to the station. This was to provide a safe search site for the police because, of course, their warrant was for firearms. Firearms. The search begins. The first room, a bathroom, nothing. The second, a bedroom, nothing. Don't know where this is going. (laughs) In the third room, an officer found a 22 round of ammunition, but Picton had told the police that he kept a 22 in the barn. Okay. Fair enough, he's a livestock keeper, you know, am I, yeah. am I a bit away? Mm. Mm. Okay. Then he came across a grey Solomon sports bag and he searched it. He found some novels, a pair of running shoes and a respirator with the name Serena Abbotsway on it. Fuck off, that was one of the girls that parents... <sighs> okay. The name didn't mean anything to that officer, but he shared his discovery with the officer who was in charge. 
So the news spread to other police on the radios. Yeah. The firearm search was immediately suspended. 100%. The police start to find more items belonging to other missing women in the Vancouver downtown east side. Because wow. remember, mm-hmm. that missing women's task force is yeah. there. Yeah. So they're, they're, they're ticking them off. Jesus. So Robert and David Picton, so him and his brother, were arrested and the police obtained a second search warrant using what they'd seen. Yeah. And it was part of the missing women's investigation as well. The following day, Picton was charged with weapons offences. Both of the Pictons were later released. However, Robert Picton was kept under police surveillance. Yeah. On February 22nd, Robert Picton was arrested and charged with two counts of first-degree murder mm-hmm. in the deaths of Serena Abbotsway, yeah. the girls whose inhaler was there, and Mona Wilson, also on the list. On April the 2nd, three more charges were added for the murders of Jacqueline McDonnell, Diane Rock and Heather Bottomley. Mm-hmm. A sixth charge was for the murder of Andrea uh, Josbury. She wasn't on the list. Yeah. Uh, that was laid on the April of, uh, 9th. Yeah. Followed shortly by a seventh for Brenda Wolf. She the was on the lady, list. Yeah. On September the twentieth, four more charges were added for the slayings of Georgina Pappin, Patricia Johnson, Helen Hallmark, and Jennifer Firminger. Four more charges for the murders of Heather Chinnock, Tanya Hollock, Sherry Ivan, and Inga Hall were laid on October the third. How were they finding all this evidence? Wait, wait, wait. Okay. Bringing the total to fifteen. So this was the largest investigation of any serial killer in Canadian history. Do you know what's really weird is they just went there to do a firearm search with a little inkling. But, wow. On May 26th, 2005, 12 more charges were laid against Picton for the killings of Cara Ellis, Andrea Borhaven, Deborah Lynn Jones, Marnie Frey, Tiffany Drew, Kerry Kosky, Sarah Devaris, Cynthia Felix, oh god, this is awful, Angela Jardine, Wendy Crawford, Diane Melnick, and a Jane Doe, we didn't know her name, bringing the total number of first degree murder charges to 27. Fuck. Excavations continued at the farm through November 2003. The cost of the investigation estimated to have been 70 million by the end of 2003. You ready, Meeks? Mm-hmm. Bones and blood for six women were discovered scattered around the farm. Worse still, the severed heads of Mona Wilson, Serena Abbotsway and Andrea Josbury in buckets. In the freezer... Fuck. In the freezer... Meat with traces of human DNA. Can I just remind you? What is he? Pig Palmer. Mm-hmm. So I know where this is going. The I meat had been, to go. The meat had been processed for human consumption. <sighs> Forensics analysis. I find that word very hard. Yeah, I get you. Forensic analysis. Analysis. Thanks. Proved difficult because the bodies may have been left to decompose eaten by insects or pigs on the farm. Mm-hmm. During the early days of excavations, forensic anthropologists brought in heavy equipment, including two 50-foot flat conveyor belts and uh, soil filters, because uh, they wanted to find traces. Of, say a conveyor belt? Yeah, yeah, but that's how much they were searching yeah. for. To put to sift the soil, put it on, and yeah. you'd ha- literally have a production line. Going along of people mm-hmm. sifting through soil looking Jesus. for human remains. 
On March the 10th, 2004, the government revealed that Picton may have ground up human flesh and mixed it with pork that he sold to the public. <sighs> That's actually disgusting. Probably at these fucking weird parties he was having. Oh, hell yes. And the health authority had to issue a warning. Another claim was that he fed bodies directly to the pigs. Oh. I know. I've read on a lot of different things that, like, A, quotation, good way. Yeah. To, like, get rid of any evidences to feed the pigs. Successful. Successful way, yeah. Because Thank pigs you. will eat anything. Yeah. And everything. Mm-hmm. So, essentially, you would be eating... Second-degree humans. Yeah. In, in you're, you're basically a cannibal without meaning to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's almost like you're fed to somebody. It's like I'm spun you right out. Yeah, yeah so I just don't... The pigs mm. get fed the bodies. The pigs then get ground up for meat. Which has then still got human in the stomach. Yeah, and then... Ooh, so then no that thanks. gets then into the pig meat. Uh, yeah. Wow. <sighs> okay, so I'm going to talk to you a minute about his M.O., so exactly how he killed his victims is not entirely known. He's never re- revealed all of it. Okay. Another coward then. According to a witness on tape, a picture had claimed that he'd brought his victims, who were always prostitutes, to the farm, handcuffed them, raped them, killed them uh, by strangling them, bled them and gutted them, uh, ran through a wood chipper and then fed the remains to his pigs. Another claim is that the victims were ground, the resulting mince mixture with pork, Mints from the farm and the packages given to Picton's friends and family. Oh, holy shit. It was stated in a documentary about the case that Picton would lure his victims to the farm using a simple ruse, such as pretending to buy sexual favours, and he would pay in drugs. And unfortunately, a lot of these sex workers were funding their drug problem, and they were being offered free drugs. Now, he was on the creep list... They, he, he was on the creepy date list, like, okay. like don't. Yeah. But some women, you know, they were in a position where they had to feed their habit. Yeah, and it's really sad. I think we need to, at some point, address a segment about drug and alcohol abuse and the danger and, you know, charities that help that. Sure. Sorry. Definitely, no. He would become violent and accuse the victims of something, such as stealing from him. He would do this during, like, a sexual act to, right. like, catch them off guard. I know. And then he would restrain them and kill them by strangling, shooting them, and just basically butchering their bodies. That's absolutely horrific. Yeah, not as horrific, well, no, sorry, just as horrific as these missed opportunities. Mm -hmm. So on the 22nd of March, 1997, Picton wanted some company. So he headed down to downtown Eastside where he picked up a lady called Tracy. I'm not gonna say her second name. And he offered her $100 to come back to the farm with him. Now, this was more than what is usual. Yeah, and I think that's... She was not. a bit like, hmm. Now, the difference with Tracy is that she wouldn't take drugs on the job. Right. That was her rule. Fair enough. So she would keep a straight head. Yeah. But she would really need the money to fund her drug habit for afterwards. Uh-huh. So she said yes eventually and she described his place as dirty smelly and really really run down okay just as i imagine it so tracy was in the trailer yeah exactly how you imagine it exactly and worse yeah so tracy was looking for something in her bag and she was in the sort of kitchen part of the trailer 
and she could you know when you can feel someone you can feel their presence you can feel you. their presence of, you know whether it's in your peripheral yeah. or, or behind you but she could feel something or rather someone yeah. behind her and she said that this really weird thing happened that Picton came up behind her and caressed her hand and her wrist and it really caught her off guard because she was expecting something terrible yeah of course I mean, you normally do if somebody stood behind you, right? And in that moment, she relaxed, just for a second. And then she found, felt something around her wrist. And when she looked down, she saw that <gasps> Willie had slipped a handcuff around one of her wrists. Oh Even more terrifying, in the other hand, he had a knife. So he starts trying to attack her, but Tracy isn't having any of it. No. She is hardcore, this woman, I tell you. She fights back. All the while, Picton is punching her, slapping her, yeah. and as well as stabbing at her with a knife, he's just stabbing at her, yeah. making holes in this woman who is fighting for her life yeah. with a handcuff around her on one wrist. So in a really bold move, she attempts to save her own life by grabbing the knife, but unfortunately she grabs the blade, so it slices her oh hand open. So they fight some more, and Tracy manages to get the knife and slice Picton from ear to ear and she made several slashes in his face so he was quite badly wounded and it, you know, he was a mess. Wow. Um, so while he's on the floor, she makes a run for it. Yeah. And she goes to the road and she flags down a car and she's covered in blood and she's holding a knife covered in blood. That and makes it a bit strange, doesn't it? It people. does, yeah. And these two people stopped and they wound the window down and said, don't stab us. And it was only when she tossed the knife that they noticed that she had a handcuff around one of her wrists. It was all becoming very clear. Well, yeah, of course. But worse still, her intestines were spilling out from her stomach. Oh my God. From the, the stab wounds that she'd mm -hmm. received from Picton. So that woman yeah. ran across that muddy field uh -huh. with her intestines hanging out. She's got a handcuff around her wrist. Yeah. And she's got a knife gash in her hand. Wow. I know. Like, wow. And you know what? Like, this is going to sound a little bit insensitive, but if she had taken drugs before she went to these people, she probably wouldn't have been able to save her own life. Who knows? So she was taken to the Royal Columbian Hospital in New Westminster. Do you know that? Yeah. Do you know that place? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Vaguely. So while she was undergoing emergency surgery, Picton was also receiving treatment for his injuries in the Insane. same in the <gasps> same motherfucking hospital. What the fuck? Exactly. Get the fuck out. But by sheer chance, an orderly found a key in Picton's pocket. This amazing orderly put two and two together and found that the key fitted the handcuffs <sighs> on yeah. Tracy's wrist because everybody in the hospital was talking about it. Of course. Because this woman had come in badly injured and with a hat. And this other guy had similar yeah, injuries. I yeah, get it. and there was this orderly, you know, somebody that can stand back and watch. You know, nurses, doctors, mm -hmm. they're on it. Yeah. They're trying to save her life. Whereas he could, st you know, this, this orderly, he stood back and taking it all in. Yeah, put two and two together, like you said. Wow. Yeah. So Picton was arrested and, char and charged with attempted murder. Assault with a weapon and forcible confi confinement. So basically just locking her up. Yeah, basically, yeah. So he was released from hospital on a $2,000 bond, but, get this, 
all the charges were dropped because Tracy was a drug addict and considered unreliable witness. Fuck off. Nope. Can't even cope with it. Fuck off. Robert told everyone, including the police, that Tracy was a hitchhiker, a a prostitute, um, a drug addict, and she'd attacked him. And... They believed him. The police were satisfied with Picton, and things went back to the way they were. I bet they fucking... I bet they were fucking seething after. How the fuck... I know. ...can you lock up a scared 17-year-old that has given birth on the toilet and lock her up for 18 years because she was frightened, but... Let this bloke go. See ya. Go back to your farm. Ridiculous. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely ridiculous. In the spring of 1999, an informant told the Vancouver police that a single mother and drug addict named Lynn Elginson had seen a woman's body hanging in Picton's slaughterhouse. When questioned by the police, she initially denied the story. Only much later did she admit that on the 20th of March she had, in fact, seen the body but didn't report it because she feared Picton and she depended on him for money and drugs. Mm. He supported her. There wasn't a sexual relationship, but he supported her. Friends almost. Well, yeah. Mm. Weird. In early 1999, Bill Hiscox, that guy that worked for them... Yeah. Um, he informed the RCMP that Lisa Yields, a close friend of Pitton, had told him that she had seen women's clothes, purse, identification papers at the farm. And Hiscock believed that they were the property of missing women. Yeah. But... So the police questioned um, Yields, but she was uncooperative. You know, she yeah. had to feed her uh, and scared. Yeah, of course. It was the second time that... Um, his cox had contacted the police about his suspicions but they could not obtain a search warrant based on hearsay evidence mm-hmm. so verbal information reported by someone who was not directly a witness to it yeah. can't get a search warrant for that so they required an eyewitness report of criminal activity or the existence of a physical evidence mm. how about you ask those fucking police officers that go there off duty because they're eyewitnesses uh-huh. honestly exactly. this makes me I'm getting angry now okay so I'm going to go I'm going to move on to sentencing okay so, when a British Columbia Supreme Court judge sentenced the victim to 25 years with no possibility of parole, cheers and cries were heard from the courtroom. Because mm-hmm. finally, these people, although horrific, had yeah. some answers and some closure. After years as well. But they could only convict him on six, six second second degree murder charges why they couldn't convict him of the others because of lack of evidence because like dna and so it all mush sounds horrendous but it all mushed together of course and some of it had decomposed it had been there too long mm-hmm. they couldn't solid evidence. build like a, a solid case for all of those women which is That's really awful. really sad for the, those families as well those families must have felt deflated and efflated is that a word? Elated. Elated, thanks. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> they must have felt both of those things. Yes, yeah. my family have been brought to justice. However, yeah. only some of. Now, Terrific. I'm just going to explain the whole first, second and third degree murder thing. Because okay. I always get it mixed up. Yeah, I do too. And I'm like, why only second degree? Like, this bloke ground up humans mm-hmm. and fed them to other humans. I know. After he fed them to the pigs. Yeah, no. Like... Mm-hmm. Honestly... Every time you say that, I get like a shiver. I know, it's, it is horrendous. So, okay, this is how it works. So, the, the technical terms are, first degree murder is premeditated. So yes. you've thought about it before. Uh-huh. you planned it. Yeah? Second degree is not. Yeah. They're both intentional. Right. So you intended to murder, 
but you didn't premeditate you the didn't murder. You didn't plan to do it. <sighs> Whatever. Yeah, right. Um, third degree murder is, is manslaughter, so, yeah. it, you know, they didn't mean to. Uh-huh. So, like, first degree murder, like, when they talk about premeditated, because I was like, okay, but premeditated and intentional. Mm-hmm. They sound like the freaking same thing to me. Yeah, me too. They sound like just words that they're... I just... Yeah. Okay, that's just my opinion. I'm not a solicitor, lawyer, or know anything about that. It's just my opinion uh-huh. and my feelings towards it. So, by the time... So, the, he was sentenced to 25 years. Okay. For the six that he was charged for. Yes. And the reason why that's is because... That's four years each. No. Sorry, didn't mean to butt in, but no, I know. So in Canada, mm-hmm. first degree murder, you automatically get a twenty-five year sentence without the possibility of parole. Okay. Twenty-five years. Yeah. So you know, you could do this at twenty-five and be out by the time fifty. Yeah. But the judge in this case. So second degree is it, it's then up to the judge whether when he says that you can be put yeah. up for parole, but he kept it the same as the first degree, yeah. which people were, they were really really pleased about. So, and it is unlikely anyway that anybody would parole him exactly before that time's up. But twenty five years, I know. right? So by the time his sentence is complete, Robert Picton will be eighty three. Mm-hmm. Let's just hope that he leaves in a pine box. Yes, exactly. And that is the case of Robert Picton. Wow. I am actually like morally shocked. I know. That is a good like that's a good phrase. Morally shocked is yeah. the because I feel it even to read and I've there is a great podcast called Canadian True Crime. Yeah. And the lady, Christy, she does a four-part series and she goes into a lot more detail with regards to the victims. Okay. And she does a really eloquent job of it. Yeah. Um, and it gives you a little bit more background. And she delves a bit deeper into P- Picton's childhood and yeah. all of that. I just wanted to tell the events and what has happened because what I can't believe is why... Why do we talk, why do we talk and know about people like Ted Bundy? Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's a, a race or a competition. No, no, not at all. But is it because apparently he was charming and charismatic, and a pig farmer is disgusting and horrible? So you know, it's just interesting. Do you know this? There is a um, surveillance tape of when he was put in the holding cell. And in the holding cell is an undercover police officer posing as another criminal. Right. He says to this dude, he says, I got sloppy. I wanted to make it an even 50. What? And he also says... I have nothing to say. I know. He also says, oh, I've done loads more than those ones in the States. So, Gary Ridgemore... The Green River Killer. Yes. He was interviewed about some of these these um, cases because at, uh, at some point Gary Ridgway knew that he was being surveyed by police, okay. so he made his way up to Vancouver. Oh wow! Mm. Interesting. Yes. I don't know anything about that one. I don't know why. I don't know. Maybe you can cover it sometime. Um, he's apparently the most boring serial killer. But that's what people in the true crime community feel that it's not reported on a lot because he's boring. Fair enough. 
I don't know. I don't feel like that. But yeah. I just I don't I just have no words to say. I just don't know which way. Yeah, Gary, so yeah, Gary Ridgway was interviewed and then they go back to the tape and he talks about I just I got sloppy and that's why I got caught. Mm. I find a lot of people say that. A lot of serial killers will say that. The person I'm gonna cover also says the same thing. Yeah. Similar thing. Yeah. And but like the fact that we talk about, you know, that we've made people like Ted Bundy and Jeffrey Dahmer, you know, almost celebrities, especially Ted Bundy. And yeah, I have real issues about that Ted Bundy film. Yeah, I know. Because I will put up a picture of the miss the women that went. Yeah. I honestly, when I have researched this case, it's harrowing. I have sat and stared at those pictures for so long. Mm-hmm. Because you just, this was this bloke's life. He yeah. went out on the hunt for humans, and once he was done with them, he would just be brutal with them. I know. And he went for sex workers on purpose. Yeah. So that they were just runaways or people that didn't spend time with their families, people that wouldn't be missed. And why? Why were the police so slack? Mm-hmm. Why were they That's so? Will it? Well, it is because back. In those times, oh, if you're a sex worker, then you don't mean anything. I know. You're the scum of society. That's disgusting. It's horrible, isn't it? Yeah. Really horrible. They still had families, like I said earlier, they were someone's child, someone's child, someone's mum. Yeah. Someone's sister, someone's daughter. Exactly. Someone's, you the know. list goes on. So it's awful. I really hope this is a pine box sentence for him. Yeah. I hope. Oh, he's got hepatitis C, so, mm. you know. Is hoping and all that. Yeah. So, yep, there's my case on Robert Picton. Wow. I think you covered that with great sensitivity. Oh, and, I tried. It's... And I think that you, although, you know, we're like nearly an hour in, mm. I feel like you shaved off what you needed to shave off. Yeah. But you kept in what was important. I think that's what I spent the time doing. Yeah. Because it was, that's it, that was important to me. But I really wanted to get the nitty gritty details yeah. in there because... Don't dance around something. No. It happened mm-hmm. to those people. Yeah. And you have to tell... You know, everyone can put their own spin on things and tell a story in a different way, but that is what happened. That's the fact. And fuck Ted Bundy. Mm-hmm. And is You know, just get him off the television. Yeah. And report Stop on these women. Yeah. Report on these women. Yeah. 50... Nearly, nearly 50 women. I know. Put them at, Put them in a film. Put them on the... Oh, right, I'm just getting on my slate box now because it just makes me angry. No, I understand. And also, he's disgusting. I'm yes. going to put some pictures up. Basically, I've never seen him. when you think of a pig farmer, a murdering pig farmer, conjure up that image in your head, yeah. smelly, dirty, yeah. doesn't wash, has a fo- has an actual uh-huh. phobia of, of showers, is quite happy to walk around in pig shit. That is exactly what he looks like. I've got an image in my head. I don't think I've ever seen a photo of him. Do you know, he tried to like smarten himself up because he wasn't getting it with the ladies. And he bought a hairpiece. But he still kept his like he had this like long mullet, but because he didn't wash or anything like that, neither did the head. So that no. got stinking. Oh, God. Sex workers would would re- refuse on the grounds that he he smelled yeah. horrendous. So uh, yeah, I just I and I can't believe that it happened so close to where you lived. I know. Um, they did demolish the farm. Yeah. I would hope so. There was a, one of the barns still standing, mm-hmm. and it was taken over by the government. Uh, gosh, 
that was I, I know I haven't said much and normally I'm like really involved mm. in the case I just don't feel like I have the words to say anything do you know I said to you like um, earlier that when we were off not on the you know podcast talking when we were just talking normally wow that's not right is it so anyway um, you know when we were talking earlier yes and I said to you like the case that we've been doing has really like drained me yeah like it has been emotionally draining yeah because like I said 49 women and he only got charged for six that's disgusting and I could just like walk around here shouting about it but it did really that was a hard one to Mm -hmm. to research and tell I just like wanted to say as well I think I make up that people sometimes probably think oh you know you just sit on the camera but it's a lot more than that you just sit on the microphone oh right okay oh yeah I see what you're saying yeah but it's a lot more than that oh no I definitely spend a good Good yeah, for Yeah, definitely, yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's, it's important to me. Yeah. I want to know the facts. I want accuracy for our listeners. I want truth. I want I want justice to be brought in our own sense. I want us to feel like we've helped people keep people safe. Mm-hmm. And enable them to keep themselves safe. Also, informing. Yeah. And there are a niche... There is a niche... <laughs> there is a massive true crime community now. Mm-hmm. And people want to know. Yeah. And hopefully we can do it justice. Yeah. Uh, I do still enjoy researching of course. the cases because that's... I don't know if enjoy is the right word. It, 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 it's what interests mm. me. So yeah. I enjoy the thing that interests me. Of course. Should I say interest a bit more? Do you want to say interest again? Well, maybe interesting. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> wow. Um, and also, it made me feel a bit wired. Yeah. Um, I can imagine. Yeah, because my brain was going back and forth and like thinking of all of these, you know, so it's 49 women, there's 49 families Yeah. that lost a person. I know. And you say that there, for God's sake, there's four people in a family. Mm. You think of how many of those people are affected by this. I know. It's just horrendous. Yeah. And yes, you're right, a lot does go into it, but I'm glad that we have been given the opportunity and the platform to, to do that. Um, and now, can we please do yours? Because I'm excited! <laughs> okay. Now, I'm excited to tell you this. Yep. I shouldn't be, but I am. Mm-hmm. Because you know you have these cases that yep. you that stick with you, just through fascination. Definitely. You know, what this guy did was horrific, and there's no, like, denying that. However, the psychology behind it interests me. Like, why would you do that? You did that because. Yep. Whereas, like, I was saying the other day, you get some serial killers that kill out of just gratification, just Mm -hmm. because they want to. Mm -hmm. Whereas you get some people that kill through, you know, trauma. Mm -hmm. Or that, you know, you see people that kill paedophiles because something happened when they were younger. Yeah. That sort of thing. And this is a little bit like this with this case. Okay. I put a poll on Instagram um, with four cases that I thought I might cover. Okay. And I let our listeners choose. Which, one, which other ones? Did you, which ones did you do? So I did Dennis Nielsen. Yeah. Edmund Kemper. Yeah. The Brat Dahlia. Uh-huh. And Ben Needham. Yeah. So they were the four that I chose, and I actually have the results. Drum roll, please. Drum roll, please. <laughs> That's my drum. Okay. So the Black Dahlia received two. Okay. Ben Needham received three, Dennis Nielsen received three, and Ed Kemper received four. <gasps> so. <laughs> oh 
my god. If you've been like an OG listener since like four episodes ago, mm-hmm. um, you'll know that I bring him up a lot because I like to compare. I like to think like this person did this, so did he, they're a bit similar. So I've brought him up a lot, but I'm going to tell you about like the horrific and a bit of a listening discretion. It's pretty graphic. Yeah. Okay. Um, again, I won't go into blood and guts, but it's not very nice. Oh, no, I'm joking. <laughs> I will a little bit, okay. but it's not like blood sprayed all over the ceiling. Do you know what I mean? Why? <laughs> no, I'm joking. Okay. Yeah. Got, no, I hear you. Okay. So Edmund Emil Kemper III was born on December 18th, 1948 at a whopping 13 pound. <laughs> Big Wait, boy. what? Hang on. He was born thirteen pounds, mm-hmm. a baby. Yeah, well, toddler. Yeah, that's pretty much what she gave birth to. <gasps> was she big? Pound. Was she not massively? <laughs> Did you know her personal details? No, but I like, think what I mean is, was her build like? Was she? Was she large? Was she? Was she petite? She wasn't petite, but she wasn't average. Yeah, okay, a little bit, little bit larger than average, I'd say. Because my friend had a baby who was like eleven pound three. And he, like, walked out. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like, I he's huge. Fucking, I think he skated out on his little fucking teenage skateboard or something. Awesome. Yeah. Wow, like, ouch. But, um, 13 pounds. Big boy. I'll go on to tell you more. Okay. So he was born in Burbank, California, to Clarnell and Edmund Kemper Jr. So, obviously, there were three generations of Edmund Kempers. Yeah. Edmund was the only boy. He was the middle child. So both Ed and his father had a difficult relationship with Clarnell, mm-hmm. his mum, with Edmund Jr. saying that, and I quote, suicide missions and atomic bomb testing in the wartime was nothing compared to living with Clarnell. It's a bit dramatic, isn't it? Yeah, I know. What did she do? <laughs> so, Ed's sisters appeared to have a good relationship with their mother. Mm-hmm. Clarnell was a very difficult person to live with, often taking masculinity from Edmund Jr. and his son. So it was almost a control thing. Okay. She was said to be an alcoholic, domineering, and possibly suffering from borderline personality disorder. Mm-hmm. When Ed was just nine, his parents divorced, resulting in his mother, who didn't particularly like Ed anyway, taking himself and his two sisters to Helena, Montana, which is over like 1,100 miles away. Cool. So she moved in pretty far. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, that's too far. How is he meant to have a relationship with his, yeah. with his father? So, this was when Ed began showing sociopathic tendencies. When Ed was 10, he began torturing and killing animals. No. See, I know it sounds awful, but I can listen to people killing humans. Yeah. And I just disattach. When it's animals, I'm like a fucking wreck. I think a lot of people feel like that. Yeah, I think it's the fact that animals can't defend themselves. I think that's a part of it. Animals and children. Yeah, 100%. So, he buried his family cat alive. And a few days later, once he believed that the cat had died, he dug it up, decapitated it put his head on a spike what? in some sort of like victory what the fuck he's 10 mm-hmm. when he was 13 he then slaughtered another family cat with a knife nice and he said that he did that because he believed that his cat cared more for his little sister which is really <laughs> fascinating it fascinates me what he thought his- <laughs> the cat loved his sister more <laughs> oh. honestly so really really do you know what that fascinates me? Because there was obviously some sort of favouritism in his family. 
yeah. that was obviously a trigger he was projecting yeah I'm sorry I know that there's a lot of deep psychology there and I, I totally get it I just yeah I, like, I get it I get it was a cat literally more than me yeah oh. it was like a little petulant child wasn't it yeah definitely he later dismembered the cat keeping its body parts in his closet Later, his mum found these body parts and just threw them in the trash. What you do? Like, yeah. There was no, like, oh, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> that was like, oh, I'll just put them in the bin, it's fine. Okay. Nice one, Carl. I know. So, his sociopathic tendencies continued when Ed began taking the heads off his sister's dolls in some sort of, like, sexual ritual. It was sexual. Was it? Yeah. Why? He then encouraged his sisters to play gas chambers with him where they would flick an invisible switch and then fall to the floor convulsing and jolting until he died in quotations so who was who was being convulsed him so his sisters were in charge so they were the domineering ones so yeah. he was projecting the mother mm-hmm. onto his sister yeah. or something i don't know i'm just an armchair psychologist here welcome to yeah. the psychological <laughs> so ed's mum often humiliated him and belittled him by forcing him to sleep in the basement out of fear that he would sexually harm or molest his sisters. I can what? see your face, yeah. What? I, I'm sorry, but if you don't want to create murdering bastards, don't put them in the basement to go to sleep. I know. And what's the deal? Like, his mum must have some real issues if she thinks that mm-hmm. she's got a male predator thing going on. I know. And, like, that feeling that she needs to dominate him and... Oh, okay, come on, carry on, because I'm down. Okay, so Ed, like Richard Ramirez, Fred West, and, you know, other serial killers, have had two near-death experiences at a young age. So Ed's older sister evidently saw that something wasn't quite right with Ed and once tried to push him in front of a moving train. So she thought, you're a weirdo. Yeah, jump in front of a train. So, so altruistic and all that. Hmm. When this was unsuccessful, she went on to push him in the deep end of a swimming pool, which Same resulted, sister? yeah, which resulted in him nearly drowning. Oh my god! I know what the fuck. Like, why are we talking about him? Let's talk about his sister. I know, right? She's got. <laughs> no, she too. I know. God, that's awful. So at fourteen, Ed ran away from his domineering mother and went to live with his family back in California. However, sadly, his father had remarried and gained a stepson and wasn't interested in Ed anymore, so he just sent him away. Ed was then sent to his paternal grandparents' ranch, which is his dad's family, right? Okay. Kemper transferred the rage he felt towards his mother and father that had clearly both rejected him towards his grandparents, Edmund and Maud Kemper. Ed hated living on his grandparents' ranch and described his mother as emasculating and senile, which is funny because that was the same as his mother, as his mother. Yeah. So was was she really like that or did he, was he seeing that? It's an interesting... That is an interesting take. Wow, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe. Ed got on well with his grandfather despite calling him senile too. Ed's grandfather had brought a rifle for Ed and taught and encouraged Ed to shoot birds despite... Why? I guess it was what they did back in the 40s, 50s. No, farms. you don't play with guns. I know. They are not a toy. I know. To me, that's no different than like, me opening the like kitchen and going, yeah, have some knives. Yeah, I know. Let's go and practice knife throwing. I know. I, I just... Oh, yeah. So despite his grandmother, she was very angry about, you know, the that they had been shooting birds. So now that upset gonna, her, did it? 
yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. So, gonna now come to his first crimes. Bearing in mind, Ed was 15 at this point. Do you think, sorry, do you think he got on well with his grandfather, despite calling him senile, because he was a male figure? Yeah. And he'd felt rejected by his dad because his dad had gone, oh, well, you're disposable, I'll get, I'll get a new family. Yeah, exactly. Mm. I think that could be what it is. Mm. So, on August 27th, 1964, when Ed was just 15, Ed and his grandmother got into a heated altercation at the kitchen table. She said that she didn't want Ed shooting birds anymore. It just, she didn't like it. Yep. However, this angered Ed, so he stormed off, picked up his rifle and without hesitation fired one shot to his grandmother's head. See? Don't play with guns. And then continued to fire two shots into her back. <sighs> some reports stay. I, I couldn't find it everywhere, but some reports I looked at said that there were multiple post-mortem stab wounds over her body. So, like, basically, she, she, he'd stabbed her after he knew she was dead. So he right. did it for fun rather than to obtain death. Right. Nice. I'll get there. Ed then waited for his grandfather to return from grocery shopping and before he made it to the door, Ed shot him too. This is what gets me. Well, Ed hid his body anyway and after the double homicide, Campo didn't know what to do. So what did he do? Phoned his mum. Phoned his mum who told Campo to call the police and tell them what he had done and to wait for him. Maybe that was an element of control. Maybe that was like, I knew you were going to be like this, like, sort yourself out. Yeah. Yeah. So... Later, when he was asked why he killed his grandparents, he just said, I just wanted to know what it felt like to kill Grandma. This is where I personally think that the fantasies of Ed hurting his mum came from. Yeah, because I just wanted to feel like what it was like to kill Grandma. Mm. Not just kill or kill my grandparents. It all all comes back to his mum. The woman, exactly. And then he went on to say, I didn't want my grandfather coming home to find his wife dead. That almost feels like he cares. Well, it's altruistic, isn't it? He's doing yeah. it, he thinks he's doing it for his grandfather's own good. Of course. And he, and I, I expect he actually believed that. Yeah, probably did. So, in court, Kemper was diagnosed by court psychiatrist as a paranoid schizophrenic. Kemper was then handed over to a criminally insane unit of, oh God, Atascarado, state hospital sorry if i've got that wrong uh while there he saw many psychiatrists doctors and social workers who disagreed that the diagnosis of the court psychiatrist was right so you know they didn't believe that the court was right with what they were saying well yeah i was just gonna say what led them like what markers did he have for paranoid schizophrenia right like just because he's like shot someone what about if he's just a douche i know so their report stated that ed had experienced no hallucinations no. no delusions or bizarre thoughts. They changed his diagnosis to personality trait disturbance, and in brackets, the passive aggressive type. Okay, I've, I've never heard of that before. No, see, it makes the passive aggressive thing makes a little more sense to yeah. me because wanted to go to his mum, thought he would kill grandma instead of mum because he mm. thought it would all go away. Yeah. So while incarcerated, Ed underwent an IQ test. Now this absolutely <coughs> blows me away. The result would prove Ed's massive score. The result was 
a score of 136. Yeah. Between between 120 and 140 are considered superior intelligence, while genius starts at 140. So Einstein and Stephen Hawking both had an IQ of 160, and his was at 136. <gasps> Later, during his time, he was given another IQ test, scoring 145. No. Mm-hmm. Which I did read a few times that he actually rigged the IQ test to make him look dumber than he was. So we don't know if he's actually got an IQ of 180. <laughs> when we're talking about IQ, like we're measuring somebody's intelligence, mm-hmm. but we're not measuring their mental intelligence, no. are we? We're not measuring their emotional intelligence. I don't think so. We're measuring what... Intelligence on paper, sort yeah. of thing. Yeah. What a shame he couldn't have done something better than kill his grandparents with that IQ. IQ, I know. Well, you're going to be fascinated by this shit. Okay. Ed was said to be a model prisoner and trained to administer psychiatric tests to other inmates. So. I'm sorry, what? Yeah. They let him, Mm -hmm. Ed Kemper, perform psychiatric tests on other inmates. Yeah. Awesome. Brilliant. And that's the fact that he then knows how to rig that. He's working with it every day. He knows how to rig psychiatric tests to make him look dumb or not dumb. Or... When was this? What year? Uh, 64? Yeah, 64. Mm, yeah, he's 60s. While in prison, Ed became a member of JCs. Don't know if you've ever heard of that. No. Which is a leadership training program and civic organisation for people aged 18 to 40. Others members included Elvis Presley, Ronald Reagan, Bill Clinton... Bill Gates and John Wayne Gacy. No freaking way. Yeah. While Ed was testing other inmates, he gained knowledge on how to take the test in order to cheat the results and gain the results he desired, like I just said. Why did he want to be dumb? Then he would have time in a psychiatric unit rather than a full male prison. True. Ed also gained further knowledge while testing sex offenders. He stated that he learnt that it was this is important. He stated that he'd learnt it was best to kill a woman after raping her so they couldn't leave any witnesses. That bit's important. You need to keep that in your mind. Okay. So, because Ed was a minor during the time of his first crime, Ed was only... Ed was eligible for parole when he turned 21, five years after he committed the murders of his grandparents. <gasps> no way! He killed two people and he got... Five years. Oh my God! In a medical facility. So, on his 21st birthday, Ed was released. Despite the recommendations of psychiatrists that Ed was not, and like, no way to be allowed to be living with his mother, as her control and anger clearly didn't benefit him, he was released back to his mum. Great. Who worked as an administration assistant in the University of California, Santa Cruz. Okay, yep. So, prior to Ed leaving the state hospital, Ed had charmed parole officers into having his juvenile records expunged Within a few years of his parole. No way! He's just a fucking... He is just... In 1972, his records had been wiped. There was no records of his brutal, atrocious or criminal acts. No way. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. I can't believe that. So, if you think you can't believe that, keep listening. Kemper worked a series of odd jobs before securing work with the state of California's highway department. Ed previously applied to become a state trooper police force but he was rejected because at the time he was six foot nine and weighed more than 300 pounds which is 136 kilos he was a fucking like unit yeah 
he was an actual unit. He was obviously like 13 pound as a baby, but he was a big boy. Why would they reject him though? Like, that is, don't you think that's weird? It like, is, but size, running, back in like the 70s, they needed fit, active mm. people that, you know, wouldn't hold back gravity with how fucking tall he is. <laughs> I suppose he could be very conspicuous being yeah. six foot nine either like you know trying to stalk out someone it's just like massive unit yeah. walking around because mm-hmm. oh, have you seen obviously you have but yeah he's oh, a huge, huge guy so despite being rejected he maintained friends with the Santa Cruz police officers and often drank with them at a bar called the jury room no. one officer said you don't fucking believe this one officer was said to give him a training school badge, handcuffs, while another allowed Camper to borrow a firearm. Wait, what? Why? Why? Kemper even had a car that had represented a police cruiser. What, he had one himself? He bought it? Mm-hmm. Loser. I know. Why? Like, what? I cannot yeah. believe those police officers did, did I know. that. I know. They're not toys. No, no. And even if it wasn't a firearm, it was just a training school badge. That's bad enough. Like he just did five years for killing his grandparents. No record of it. With a gun. Yeah. See, told you, not toys. No. Well, Ed became engaged to a sixteen-year-old student who attended Turlock High School. That same year, Ed was involved in a collision with a car while riding a recently purchased motorbike. Ed filed a civil suit, receiving a fifteen-thousand-dollar settlement. With that money, he purchased a 1969 Ford Galaxy. It was here when Ed began driving around and noticed how many young college students were hitchhiking. This caused Ed to begin to think about his fantasies and he built a kill kit that he kept in the trunk which included guns, knives, blankets, bags and handcuffs. He claims that he had peacefully picked up and dropped off more than 150 girls before he felt any sexual urges. But this, if you think, would have given him world of mouth reputation. For picking yeah. up girls, taking them home, being safe, oh, this being this big, tall, six-foot-nine guy picked me up. He's lovely. We just chatted. Oh, I feel comfortable with him then. Pick her up. Do you know what I mean? Oh, manipulative, yeah, isn't it? Years later, this is probably what he's the most well-known for. Okay. Ed would say, when I see a pretty girl walking down the street, I think two things. One part wants to be nice and sweet, and the other part wonders what her head would look like on a stick. Yeah, I've heard that a lot. What the fuck? Are you alright, hun? Yeah. <laughs> Are you alright? So that's horrible, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Because that goes back to what he did, you know, with those animals. To the cat, yeah, for sure. And he's, like, got the triad, isn't he, of yeah. serial killer things. What is it? Um, injuring animals when you're younger. Mummy issues is another one. Mummy issues. What's the third one? Trauma, is it? Head trauma. Head trauma, or is it just trauma in general? Like, Could be. Child, like there's a triad there's, of, yeah. of, you know, markers. Yeah, so I guess. Sorry. No, 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 don't be sorry. So, <coughs> Edmund Emil Kemper III's murder spree would run from May 1972 until April 1973. Oh, not long then. <laughs> no. Ed picked up female hitchhikers and murdered them. His victims were mostly young female college students, hence the name Coed. In America, they call them co-ed, like your college friends. Oh, okay. They're, it's like college education, I think, yeah. something like that. He took the bodies of his victims back to his home where he'd dismember them, performed sexual acts with their severed heads and bodies. Kemper would also... 
Kemper would often kill after falling victim to one of his mother's violent outbursts. Psychiatrists believed that he was using the young college victims as a surrogate for his mother, as she was the one he really wanted to hurt. Oh, yeah. Ew. Yeah. I've got on here that this is victims three and four because you consider his grandparents were victims one and two. Okay. So, victims three and four. On May 7th, 1972, 18-year-old Fresno students Mary Ann Peach, I think I'm saying that right, and Anita Mary Luchessa, also 18, they were both 18, were planning to go to Stanford University. They were offered a ride by Ed, and after driving for an hour, he changed direction and reached a secluded wooded area <sighs> near Almeida, which is an hour away from their required destination. So he went pretty far out of his way. Ed was familiar with the Almeida area, thanks to his work with the highway department role. Mm. The girls had no idea about their change in direction. Really? Ed firstly intended to rape the girls. However, he remembered what he learnt in prison. Remember what I told you to remember? Make sure you kill a girl after raping them because they leave no witnesses. Yep. Kemper handcuffed Marianne, leaving Anita locked in the back of his trunk. He then stabbed and strangled Marianne before killing Anita in the same way. He then placed both the girls' corpses in the trunk and drove back to his apartment. However... <laughs> On the way back, Ed was pulled over by the police for having a broken taillight. Shut the front door. The officer was not suspicious, so no search of the car was needed. However, if the car was searched, they would have revealed the fate of Marianne and Anita. No way. Could have prevented the rest of the victims that had met their fate at the hands of Kemper. <sighs> when back in his apartment, Kemper had sexual intercourse with both corpses took pornographic photos and then decapitated and dismembered both victims. Once Ed had finished his sick fantasy, he then placed the body parts of his victims in plastic bags, including their heads, and disposed of them in a ravine near Loma Prita Mountain. Marianne's skull was found on Loma Prita Mountain that August, but the rest of her remains were never found, nor were any of Anita's. Really? Mm. God, sad. So this one's awful too. However, this one's sad, like really sad. Okay. So on September 14th, which was four months after the last couple of victims. Okay. September 14th, 1972, 15 year old, Korean born, Aiku Ko. No, I'm really sorry if I'm not saying that right. That's okay. Decided to hitchhike to her dance class mm -hmm. however different sources say that she was coming home from her dance class and some said that it was that she was going to okay couldn't find a definitive answer she was walking on her own yeah yeah okay uh but she'd missed the bus so ed drove ico ico okay to a remote wooded area where he then pulled a gun on her before accidentally locking himself out of his car <laughs> despite ed pointing the gun at her he had gained her trust and she'd unlock the car and let him back in no. Yeah. No. Mm-hmm. See, he is clever. Yeah. Isn't he, he knows how to manipulate people. Yeah. So she let Ed back in and he choked her until she lost consciousness. He then raped and murdered this 15-year-old poor girl. Ed also took her corpse back to his apartment where he treated her remains much the same as the second two victims. Yeah. Aikoku's body was never found despite her parents' desperate search and exhaustive efforts to locate her. 
Her mother never received any information regarding her daughter, even though she called the police several times and posted hundreds of flyers. Disgusting. So, I'm going to step away from the victims a little bit. Okay. Just for a minute. So, in 1973, Kemper had run out of funds and money and moved back in with his mum at her home in the UC uh, Santa Cruz campus. Then, on campus? Yeah. She lived on campus? Mm-hmm. Oh, no. Yeah. There, he continued his killings, murdering a further three more college students. There were several warnings issued to the public about accepting lifts from cars without a university sticker, but because his mum worked at the university, he managed to get a free sticker. Sneaky fucker. I know, right? Sneaky fucking fucker. So, I'm coming to victim six now. Six, oh my God. On January 8th, 1973, Ed shot 19-year-old Cynthia also known as Cindy Shawl, with a .22 calibre pistol. I'll be calling her Cindy through the... Yeah, that was what she was known as. Yeah. He then took her body back to his mother's house, where he dismembered her and kept her remains in a closet overnight. How how many months was this between this and the last one? Uh, four. Okay, so he's escalating then. Yeah. When his mother went to work the next morning, he pulled Cindy's body out of his closet and had sexual intercourse with her corpse. He then removed the bullet from her body and decapitated her in his mother's bathtub. And his mum never knew. Mm-mm. Do you know what? He kept Cindy's head for several days, regularly engaging in irrumation. Do you know what that is? No, but I feel like you're about to tell me. Mm-hmm. Active thrusting of a man's penis into or between one or more body parts, i.e. legs, breast or thighs. Head. Uh-huh. I didn't even know there was a word for it. What's the word again? Irrimation. Let's do some irrimation. Let <laughs> <laughs> oh, say that to Oh, God. <laughs> when Ed had finished his horrific acts on this young lady's corpse, he then buried her head in his mother's garden with her face pointing towards her window. In an interview, Ed later commented on how his mother always wanted everybody to look up to her. So... Nice. Mm. Bit of ritual going on yeah. there, isn't there? And then discard... Yeah, it's almost like he wanted to do all of this to his mother. Yeah. He just practised and practised on other people. Yeah. And then discarded of the rest of Cindy's remains by throwing them over a cliff edge. Also, don't you think as well, it's because like he loved his mum mm-hmm. as well? He just didn't want that rejection. He didn't want the rejection, and so, but, you know, while she was vile to him and he hated it, at the same time he loved her. Yeah. And so he couldn't kill her, so he went and took his rage out on... Everybody else. All the co-eds, yeah. Several parts of Cindy's body was later discovered when they washed up on shore. All that was missing was her head and her right hand. Pathologists determined that she had been hacked to death and then cut into tiny pieces with a power saw. How did no one know? Mm. Okay, so these were the last two codes I'm going to talk about now. But remember, that isn't all of the people, because there's still two more people okay. that weren't co-eds. I'll go back into that in a minute. Okay. On February 5th, which was a month later, not even a month later, 1973, Kemper had gotten into a heated argument with his mother, where he had eventually stormed out. 
Ed then went out to search for more victims when he picked up Rosalind Thorpe, 23, and Alison Lou, 20. He promptly shot the girls before wrapping their bodies in blankets. Uh, he then carried their headless bodies into his mother's house where he removed the bullets to prevent identification. I was going to say, why? 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 To prevent them knowing what gun he was using that and then tie it back. It's insane that he thought of that because we're talking like, are we talking like the 60s? Uh, 70s The now, 70s. Early 70s. You know, to think of that. Yeah, I know. Hmm. After he removed the bullets, he then dismembered and sexually abused their bodies. The next morning, Ed disposed of their body parts in several locations. Some of Rosalind Thorpe and Alison Liu's body parts were found a week later in Eden Canyon. And in March, hikers near Highway 1 in San Mateo County discovered more remains. However, currently, this is an interesting fact, uh, two other serial killers were active in that area. So Good old 70s. John Lindley Frazier. Yeah and Herbert Mullins yep. were committing serial murders in the Santa Cruz area, giving Santa Cruz the murder capital of the world title. Ed said, there was actually a sexual thrill. This is horrific. So if you don't want to listen, you might want to turn off. Okay. There was actually a sexual thrill. You hear that little pop and peel, pull their heads off, hold their heads up by their hair and their bodies sitting there. That would get me off. That's gross. Like what? Like psychology-wise, like what? Like what? It probably just got him off. the The fact, the sexual gratification part of it, was probably because that's what he liked. That the killing the females, the killing the co-eds, the killing the, you know, killing in the way that he did. I think personally was to do with his mum, but I think. It's, I don't want to like dumb it down a little bit, but it's almost like a fetish. People have foot fetish, fetishes that gets them off. Other people think it's grotesque. Yeah, but you don't die. I know. From a foot fetish. I know. I know. They're not trying to play it down, but I was using it as an example. Yeah, I see what you're saying, but like, I don't. I don't like. Well, where does that weird fetish come from? Because I don't there's, know. or not weird, like disgusting fetish come yeah. from? Because there's having a foot fetish. And being like, yeah, well, you keep your cheesy toes to yourself and right. some people that absolutely love it. Okay. Yeah. And also, like, I get it. Sometimes feet are sexy. Like, I have a friend that has toe cleavage when she wears heels. And she's just got lovely feet and I get it. Yeah. I don't want to suck her toes or anything. No, no, that's weird. But, um, but I get it. Like, her, her, her feet look sexy in her shoes. Mm. So, but... <laughs> yeah, it just... Uh... I just don't know. They're just worlds apart, and I just think, like, what leads someone to need need that? I know. Like, why couldn't he just go out and find a girl and have a date and just and yeah, done, done. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like I know. I wonder what led. What I'm saying is, like, I wonder what led to that fetish. I I don't know. I can't tell you. Yeah. I need to know. I know. So, we come on to victims eight and nine, which I mentioned a minute ago are not co-eds. So, on 20th of April 1973, Kemper's mother, Clarnell, now 52, came home late from a party where she noisily went to her bedroom, which woke Ed. Okay. uh, And she began to read a book. So Ed entered his mother's room, and when she noticed that Ed was stood there like the big fucking six foot twat he is... Yeah, Gert Louster. Yeah. (laughs) Said... Now, this is 
just shows what kind of person his mother is. She said, and I quote, I guess you're going to want to come and sit and talk all night. Almost as if she was, he was bothering her by wanting to talk to her. Yeah. So he replied, no, good night, and returned to his bedroom and waited for his mum to fall asleep. So. So he waited. Yeah. He was waiting for her to fall asleep. Because because he was asleep before that. Yeah. That's what I'm like, that's what I'm sat here thinking. So he returned to her room and bludgeoned her to death with a claw hammer. <gasps> Kemp had then decapitated her, engaged in sexual acts with her severed head. Uh, what? <laughs> After okay. this... just baffles me. I just don't get it. It just fucking frustrates me. After he'd finished performing his six sexual acts with his mother, he placed her head on a bookshelf and used it as a dartboard, throwing darts at her head while screaming at it for an hour before... Cutting her tongue out. What frustrates you about that? I just... I understand the trauma with his mum and I understand he wants to humiliate her in every way possible. I don't agree with it. And I don't think it's... No, 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 but you understand... I understand that. I just... And I know he cut her tongue out to stop her talking. Yeah. I'll go into that in a minute. Yeah. I just... Why this night? Yeah. To me, what she said to him, you know, I guess you're going to want to come and sit and talk all night. Mm-hmm. That wouldn't make me want to kill my mum. That wouldn't make me angry at my mum. I'd say, no, piss off, I don't want to talk to you. Yeah, but for Ed, it was the, the straw that broke the camel's back. It was one yeah. that one last rejection, that one last time yeah. that was the tip of the iceberg. Like, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier in the Picton case about, um, like, first, second and third degree murder. Yeah. Because, like... He obviously woke up in the night. He's got anger issues, yeah, isn't he? So 100%. he woke up in the night. He's pissed anyway because his mum's woke him up. And then she gives him a rejection, or what he feels is a rejection. Mm-hmm. And it triggers him to go, Yeah. Right, you. So, after he cut her tongue out, he threw her tongue into the garbage disposal. The garbage disposal could not break down her vocal cords because he also cut her vocal cords out uh, and ejected them back into the sink. So, Ed said, and I quote, that seemed appropriate as often she would bitch and scream and yell at me over the years. So, Kemper then went on to rape what was left of his mother's corpse and then hid her in the closet and went out for a drink. Victory, maybe? Almost yeah. as a way of saying, I'm free from her. Like, yeah. this is done now. Yep. Now, remember I said that there was two more victims? Yeah. So. I didn't know... I, did, I don't know anything past his mum. I didn't know. What? So, when he returned, he invited his mother's best friend, 59-year-old Sarah Taylor Hallett, also known as Sally, over for dinner and a movie. As soon as she arrived, Ed strangled her to death, decapitating her and spent the evening sexually abusing her lifeless body. When he'd finished, he stuffed her into a closet before stealing his car and driving to Colorado. What the fuck? Great. So, while he was driving the stolen car of his last victim, Ed searched the radio stations to listen for any news of the murders of his mum or Sally. He sort of assumed that somebody would come around and find out. Do you think he wanted to? Do you think he wanted to be like, hey? wait. Oh, okay. (laughs) But there was nothing. Ooh. 
Ed found a phone booth and called the Santa Cruz police confessing the double homicide of his mother, Clanel, and Sally. But, strangely, the police didn't take him seriously and told him to call back another time. Now, they didn't believe that the guy that everyone knew as Big Ed yep. could commit such a murder. He was their friend, right? He yeah. wanted to get a job with the police force. Yeah. Hours later, he called... So he did wait. He did exactly what they said. That's That's... An element of like his mother's control. He does what he says. Yes, yes, he does what people they say. They said, call back later. So he did. He called back hours later, asking to speak to an officer that he knew personally. He then confessed again and waited for the police to arrive. The police took him into custody, where he confessed of the murder of six co-eds. Uh, during subsequent interrogations, he led them to all of the evidence that they needed to be able to prove he was what he was known as the co-ed killer. What just I just need to re rewind. Okay. <laughs> um just need to rewind a bit. Where they uh right, when the co ed killings were happening, mm-hmm. obviously were there was lots there was a big police investigation yeah. going on at the time and they couldn't find him. No. He kept evading them because he was big ed, because yeah. he had his that sticker in his car. Yeah. Because he was everyone's friend. Exactly. And his mum worked on campus. Yeah. So he was literally hiding in plain sight? Precisely. Disgusting. And he's massive! Well, you may ask why he turned himself in, right? Mm. So, when he was asked, he said, and I quote, The original purpose was gone. It wasn't serving any physical or real emotional purpose. It was a pure waste of time. Emotionally, I couldn't handle it much longer, towards the end. I started feeling the folly of the whole thing. And at the point of near exhaustion... Near collapse, I just said to hell with it and called the whole thing off. End quote. He got bored? Yeah. He got bored? Mm-hmm. He'd like, done what, what he wanted to do. His yeah. mum was gone. Yeah. And it was like, what, what do I do now? Mm-hmm. So, Edmund Kemper III faced eight counts of first-degree murder. He attempted to end his life twice while awaiting trial. Did he? Yeah. I didn't know that. His attorney tried to enter a plea of NGRI. Do you know what that means? Um, no, I was going to make up something funny, but... Okay. Not guilty for a reason of insanity. Oh, right, okay, yeah. I didn't know that there was, like, an acronym. Yeah. The court appointed special psychiatrist, uh, and they deemed Ed to be sane. Uh, yeah. A psychiatrist administered Ed Truth Serum, which is a range of psychoactive drugs used to obtain information from someone who is unable to give it otherwise. So. Did they? Yeah. While under the influence of the Truth Serum, Ed revealed that he sliced strips of flesh from his victim's legs, cooked and consumed these strips of flesh in a casserole. Ed later recanted the confession of cannibalism. But the science and the drugs and... Yeah, but hang on here a minute. I know. Hang on. Because why don't they use truth serum in every case where... I know. So then I don't know a lot about like truth serum and stuff. All I know is that it's truth serum and mm-hmm. they use it in like the CIA and all yeah. that business. I didn't know that they'd given it to him. Uh... I have a problem with that uh, because I don't think it's reliable testimony because it's like a what reason it? has he got why do, or, or okay so the other side of it is he wouldn't want to be known as a cannibal no he wanted to be known as this subtype of mm-hmm. serial killer I don't know I'm just thinking out loud sorry it's okay I just hijack, but find it yeah weird. like he he took truth serum said that he'd, you know, eaten his victims and then recanted that statement. Yeah. 
Ed's trial began on the 23rd of October 1973, which was pretty quick. Yeah, that is pretty quick. April to October. That's pretty quick to get a trial in, I would have thought. Yeah, definitely. Um, Ed took the stand, testifying that he killed his victims because he wanted them for myself, like possessions. Ed began to convince the jury that he was insane, based on the reasoning that his actions could have only been committed by someone with an aberrant mind. Aberrant mind? Yeah. He said that two beings inhabited his body and that when the killer personality took over, it was like blacking out. No. No. He's lying. Mm-hmm. Uh, he knows how to manipulate people. Exactly. He's got an IQ of 145. Yeah. And so he knows exactly how to, what, when, what. No, I don't believe him. On November the 8th, the jury declared him sane and guilty of all counts and Ed faced seven years to life for each count to be served consecutively at the California Medical Facility. Yeah. This is, see, this is another thing that fascinates me. When Ed was asked what his thoughts of punishment should be, he said that he thinks he should be tortured to death. Interesting. Right. Because of his mum. Ed had requested the death penalty, but his request was denied as, in that time, California had a temporary prohibition on capital punishment. Yep. So, current days. Kemper is currently 70 and living out his days at California Medical Facility where he oversees scheduling other inmates' appointments with psychiatrists. So he's still back in that role again. Ed is a model prisoner. He became a prolific reader of books on tape for the blind. Mm. However, due to a stroke in 2015, Ed was forced to retire these positions and he was declared medically disabled. Ah, I didn't know about the stroke either. Well, there's a little bit here about parole and possible release dates. I mean, I think we all know he's probably not going to be released in his lifetime. Okay. Probably not. But he became eligible for parole in 1979, six years after his crimes. (gasps) However, it was denied. Ofs. He applied again, 1980, 81, 82, and was denied each time. Ed waived his right to a hearing in 85, and at his hearing in 99... He was denied, and reports say society is not ready in any shape or form for me, and I can't fault them for that. That's what he said. Yeah, because he's right. Ed received denials again in 91, 94, and again waived his right to a hearing in 97. And 2002, sorry. Ed waived his right to a hearing in 2016. Uh, Scott Curry, who had represented Ed at his 2007 hearing, relayed a message to the media stating that Ed Kemper believes that no one is ever going to grant him parole and that he is happy going about his life in prison. Ed was also denied parole again in 2017 and he will next be available for parole in 2024 where he will be 76. Do you automatically go up for parole? Can you, yeah. Can, you, but can you turn around and say, I oh, don't bother? Yeah. Because that's what he needs to do. That's, I think that's what he's done. Good. And he should have done it from the from the very beginning. Because if he knew he wasn't going to get out. Just don't, yeah, don't let that person out. No. He... He clearly is a danger to society, and yeah. he knows that. Yeah. The sexual urges take over. Definitely. Oh, Ed. Oh, I dear. Know. I am absolutely fascinated with this case. Yeah. I'm fascinated by the person that he is. Yeah. You know, people are probably like, oh, it's a bit weird. But what are the reasons? I know the reasons, because I've fucking studied this guy till yeah. I'm blue in the face. Yeah. But I still want to know more. Yeah. I still need to know more. You'd like, you'd like to have a conversation with him? Oh, 
Oh, I would. I think that the reason why Ed Kemper gets under my skin and why it bothers me, he bothers me more than say, um, I don't know. I'm trying to think of someone. Uh, somebody that's like a slasher like, like crimes of passion uh-huh. i don't like in the moment in the moment you know she picked up a knife and you know stabbed him yeah whereas his was it's meticulous. like you said it's meticulous and it's like what you said at the beginning there's that element of like that psychology behind yeah. um like his actions mm-hmm. which make him interesting and the fact that he's got an iq of 145 and that's what we know about exactly that's if what he's, he's let you the first know. one he's yeah. gonna rig the second one right he, you know, for all we know, he could be smarter than Einstein and fucking Stephen Hawking. Put together. Yeah. <laughs> and taller. Yeah. Fucking hell. I'll put some photos on Instagram, but he is an absolute unit. See, to be Huge. classed as a giant, you have to be over seven foot. Mm. So, you know, he went far off. Six foot nine. That's tall. And point something. Yeah. So. Because the husband's six four. Yeah. And he's fucking huge anyway. Yeah, he doesn't seem huge to me anymore. No. But I know, yeah, when he goes and stands next to someone else, I'm like, wow, you're massive. Yeah, yeah. So to put, add another, whatever, four, you know, five point five, I just like, that is humongous. Yeah. And scary. Mm hmm. So, lesson is be nice to your children. Yeah. Don't reject them. Or. That's where his, his trauma came from, um, rejection, didn't oh, it? Oh, a million percent. Look. He loved his dad, and his dad had a great relationship with him. Yeah. But then when his dad rejected him as well as his mum, that's when his tendencies more... Yeah, it is when his tendencies came into place. And you can see through, like, his um, timeline of, of murders, like, how it escalated and how, like, the intensity, like, the, the gaps between... Yeah. Um, the timing and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. If anybody um, is really... Like interested or like, do you watch Mindhunter? Well, you got me into Mindhunter. I was oh, about to say, oh, I, do I you know watch? Do you I mean, a TV show with Ed Kemper in it. Do you think I'm actually not going to watch it? The guy that plays him is in amazing. it. Oh my god, he is amazing. So good. Is he actually like that tall, or do you think they've had to make him look? <laughs> I don't know. I'm on season two at the moment. It's so good. Yeah, we've just seen Charlie Manson um, take Nick Thingy's sunglasses. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know what? Because they've got that really, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? So you've got Ed Kemper there and Charlie Manson, and there's such a mirror image, like oh, so worlds yeah. apart. You know, you yeah, got yeah, yeah. and Charlie Manson is really small. Short. He's like four foot nothing. I just yeah, four foot nothing and a bit. Yeah, exactly. And you know, Charlie Man- Manson was quite chaotic. Yeah. And had a lot to say, whereas he, he was... listened to Ed Kemper talk, actually talking. Yeah. I don't mean on Mindhunter, actually in interview interviews. It's- he talks it, the yeah. way he speaks. Oh, he's, he does it's almost like he thinks about what he talks, what he says before he talks it. Yeah, yeah. And like, I think everyone's got a trait of not being able to do that very well. I'll speak before I think. Yeah. But it's like almost like he's processed and scripted a whole conversation in his head. Yeah. Do you know? What? I'd love to talk to him. If if we never spoke about his crimes, I would love to talk to him. Would Just... you feel comfortable in a room with him? Yeah. Really? Yeah. If he was handcuffed. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Not like on Mindhunter where they're like, oh, take the handcuffs off. Are you joking? Honestly, he could like punch no. both of you right out. I won't tell you anything, but have you got to the part where they're in the hospital yet? Where Kemper's in hospital? No. Okay, say no more. Oh, that'll be tonight's net chicks. Net chicks and Phil. <laughs> what? You're going to text me and be like, 
no fucking thank you. Like, no actual fucking thank you. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I'll wait for the text tonight. Okay. I'm really enjoying it again. I, I, I lost a bit of interest, actually, in the last season. I don't know. I went into it. Mm. And then I just... Yeah. Mm, it's insane. Ed Kemper. That was a really good one. You Thanks. told that really well. I was. I tried to, like, sort of lay my research out in a way that... I could do it step by step. Yes, yeah. Right, because I know sometimes, like, it sounds a bit scripted if it's done like that. Yeah, sure. But I thought the best way to cover Camper was to do it step by step. Yeah, we needed to know, yeah, we needed to know what happened in the beginning yeah. that led to what he did. 100%. And actually, he probably is really happy in prison. Yeah. Um, and living an okay life because of that regime, of that routine and that He's order. He's respected as well. Not in the sense of being a killer, but he isn't beaten. He no, because made he's a mod- humiliated. No, he's no. respected in the sense of he's a human being. Yeah, people in prison have to have human rights. Does he have any visitors? Do you know? I haven't. I haven't looked. To I be honest, I wondered if like Did you fancy a trip to California. No, <laughs> no, that's all you. Um, but that's something I do. Because the thing is, my luck would be, fuck, I'd get paroled. Yeah, and then he'd be like, all right, made with a cup of coffee. <laughs> Camper, sit down. No, no, no. Go through the fucking door. Yeah, exactly. Sorry, bye. (laughs) No, I really enjoyed telling it. I didn't want to tell it because I wanted to prolong it as long as I could. Yeah. Because my like internal fascination and need to know this guy is is over the top. Yeah. And I would never put myself or anyone I love in danger. I would never do that. No, no, of course not. I would never be like, come on, let's go to California and sit in a room with Ed Camper without handcuffs and with a knife. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I'd never do that. <laughs> Imagine little Amber. Yeah. Imagine that Amber stood next to a Kemper. Oh my god. It would be like have you ever watched Gold Member, the mini me and the yeah. it would be like that. Yeah, I hate that film. Yeah, it's, it's cheesy. It's annoying. annoying. It is. I, I think sometimes you. as well though, you, you relate films to a time of your life. Yeah. And like yeah, just yeah. Yeah. Point, really. I don't know how I got from that, from like Ed Kemper to that. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Until, until next crime. crime.